Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London, based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God, and just about everything else. Hello, everybody, and welcome to GodPod number 44. That's what we're on to now. And um, we are uh, sitting in our studio with our usual... Uh, people, Mike. Hello. Hi. Uh, I'm just wondering what happens when we get to 50. Do we have, you know, champagne instead of coffee or know, something? Cake. Don't we cake. Have cake. Yeah, there should, certainly should be a birthday. The biscuits cake. go to one side, and we have cake on that day. I think. Low calorie cake. Low calorie and olive oil made cake. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it won't be lent by then, so we'll be all right. Okay, so then we can have lots of cake. Yeah, lots That's of fine. cake, champagne, yes. and everything else. So we also have Jane. We do. We do. Hello, Jane. Thinking about cake now. <laughs> <laughs> Jane's already thinking about cake, so we're not going to get much out of her today. <laughs> and uh, for our guest today, we have uh, someone who's been with us before. We have Nikki Gumble. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled by the high level of the conversation that obviously takes place by here so far. <laughs> about cake. It's <laughs> <laughs> very like yeah. Test Match Special in that way, isn't <laughs> it? It's, it's mainly exactly. about cake. <laughs> Precisely. That's right. So, um, Nikki, of course, is the vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton, uh, where we are based at St. Paul's Theological Centre and um, pioneer of the Alpha Course and all of that. So, uh, um, if you want to know more about that, we did a Godpod, I can't remember which number it was, but um, many moons ago, early early on, when Nikki joined us and talked a bit about the Alpha Course. But um, today we're going to talk about a number of different things that have come through to us from uh, listeners around the world. Um, but before that, I, I did want to. There was one, one little um, thing that someone uh, showed us, or at least um, told me about a little while ago. They were listening to a, a radio program, which was uh, a Bob Dylan, and um, Bob Dylan was, I think, playing some songs and musing about life and so on, as he often does. And uh, during this uh, radio program, there was a little clip that came in, and it went like this. Gospel always uses the newest thing. Now they even got a thing called the God Pod. <laughs> wow. Where did that come from? It was Bob Dylan. It was a radio program. Recently? Yeah. So he, he's heard about this? Well, this is the question. Well, we don't know. say that he has. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Dylan listens <laughs> weekly to the God Pod. Let's hear, it, let's hear it again. Can we hear it again? Gospel always uses the newest thing. Now they even got a thing called the God Pod. That is brilliant. I think we, I think we ought to start using that as our signature tune. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, we don't know whether he, whether he, actually whether he meant us or whether he meant something else Global called God Pod. Recognition of the God but I Pod. definitely think we ought to kind of claim the fact that Bob yeah. Dylan, that genuinely was Bob Dylan's voice. It wasn't Jane or Mike doing an imitation. God, God raspy. <laughs> all, right. all of a sudden. That was Bob Dylan talking about God Pod. So there you go. The highest On the next one, he'll be saying extracts from this, showing that we know about him. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> that was Mike doing it. <laughs> it's some kind of impersonation of something of himself, it? actually. I think yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, we are. Um, so you, uh, Jane, you were going to start with a question for Nikki. Yes, so why don't you? Um, yes, but, um, I've been so impressed, Nikki, with um, with the way that you've been sharing your thoughts about the Bible. And HTB uh, is at the moment. Um, challenging its congregation and people associated with its congregation to read the Bible in a year um, and to help them there's the, the website um, with some um, insights into the day's readings and you've been doing that every day 
Yeah, I'm so embarrassed to hear that you know that or have been, been looking at it. Um, it, it, well, it was, it sort of started off as an idea that it might be fun. We, we did a little bit last year. Two or three of us were doing the one year Bible together. Um, and it was just great to be able to chat each day. You mm. know, what, oh, what did you, what did you see today? And I thought, so if we could do it for three of us, why not do it for the whole congregation and say to the whole congregation, if anyone wants to, uh, we're doing the one-year Bible, and we can go along with it each each day, and we'll all send a thought in, and um, uh, get a, a, have a website where people can feed in their thoughts from that day. And the idea was number one to encourage people to read the Bible. Yep. Uh, and uh, some people hopefully would read the whole Bible in a year. And secondly, to build community through the fact that people were studying the same passages at the same time and could, could talk about it, talk, exchange ideas and so on. So I started feeding in my, um, my little thoughts each day. And the more I did it, and I think, I don't know what we're up to now, but it's about sort of day 85 or something I'm on. Um, uh, the more, well, the thing that struck me was I started to find a theme each day. And it's kind of a bit random because there's a New Testament passage, an Old Testament passage, and a psalm or proverb. And I don't think there's any rhyme or reason why they should be connected because they're not, um, there's no sort of theological reason for connecting them. They're just the way it's set out in this particular version of the one-year Bible. But each day I found something. And I never expected to find it the next day. Mm. But then I'd find it the next day. And then I, so I kind of got into it and started to really enjoy it. And also, I found that it f- feeds my soul. You know, I think different people, some people, it's worship. Some people, there are different things that, that people find really feed their soul. And for me, this really feeds mm. my soul. I feel different doing it. Um, I mean, I've always done the one year, but I've done it for the last 19 years, but I've never spent as long doing right. it as I'm doing it at the moment. Mm. And I find there's something amazing about that. Do you uh, think having done it for the last 19 years is partly why it feeds you in this way, that it's a cumulative thing rather than just if you just did it one year, you get something out of it, but you get more if you keep doing it, keep going over it, see the whole thing in context? I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, I certainly, you know, I'm looking back and I've got the markings from the previous years yes. and the thoughts I've written down, but... Uh, I, I don't know why. I've never seen the connection between the passages before. I've never okay. sort of looked mm. for that because mm. there's no reason to look for a connection no. between Numbers, Luke's Gospel, and the Book of Proverbs. I mean, there's no sort of theological reason to look for it. And um, so I don't know. It's, it's not something... And um, there's no theological reason for having that connection, so I've never looked for it. But it, it is interesting once you start doing it because it forces you to really meditate yes. on each passage. <laughs> and to try and see if there is a connection and there is some common theme in all three passages for that day. So it's sort of building on a discipline that you've been having, that you've had for, for years of, of trying to read from different parts of, of the Bible every day. And is writing about them also part of the discipline that you've had for years? No, I, have, I haven't written. And to be honest, I, I haven't. One of the things I'm noticing this year is how long it is since I've read some of the Old Testament yeah. passages. I mean, the old favourites in the Old Testament, I, I probably do read mm. each year. But there are other bits like Leviticus, Numbers, mm. that I think I've skipped for years. Mm. And actually, I'm quite shocked by some of the things that I'm yes. reading because mm. I haven't mm. read them for so long that when you read them, you think, wow, this is quite shocking and yeah. quite difficult. And how do, we, mm. how do we understand this? Because the world's moved on in, in the last, even in the last 10 years. And things that perhaps didn't seem... 
were a bit mm. shocking before, <clears throat> didn't seem quite as shocking mm. as they seem now. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is, uh, it's, it's really interesting for me try, trying to then trying to mm. cope with them and see work out, and also having to write, having to put it, to articulate it, mm. um, forces you to to realise how many people find this so difficult, yes. and people coming off Alpha mm. now who are. Struggling with the, the Bible and thinking this is really strange mm. and shocking and outdated and so on, and how do we actually try mm. and help people to cope mm. with the kind of problems that mm. that are there? That is such a helpful thing to articulate, isn't it? Because we do just assume that the Bible is mm. the, the food of life for Christians, mm. um, and that we're just going to read it. But actually, bits mm. of it are, as you say, incredibly difficult yes. to get into. And that, yeah, and it is that discipline of keeping going back to the bible seems to be quite a key one that you it's it's, it's meaning and it's it's um significance doesn't just leap off the yeah. page all the time especially when you deal with some quite difficult bits that you then have to put in the context of the whole bible and it seems to me that's one of the ways in which we have to approach some of those really difficult passages in the old testament is to see what what role does this play within the whole voice of the scripture and there's something about the discipline of keeping on reading the bible whether you use the one-year Bible or you use a lectionary or whether you use some other way of doing it, that's quite important. I mean, it mm-hmm. struck me, I think, I think it struck me on January the 1st this year because I, I did the one-year Bible last year. And in most books, when you finish it, you finish the book, you put it back on the shelf and you go on to another one. And um, for this one, I finished it on December the 31st and read the last bit, Revelation 21 or whatever. And then, of course, January the 1st, picked it up again and yeah. started all over with, with Genesis. And that was the first time I'd done that. And it really struck me. You read the Bible in a very different way. That It's almost that cyclical process of keeping going back over the same passages. And I think what you're describing, Nikki, is, is like in a very sort of concentrated form of that, just reading through the Bible every mm. year and keep revisiting it and, and going back to it and getting the sort of fullness of it rather than just... But I, I'm also it. very struck with what, a, what an incredibly healthy and um, helpful um, model you're, you're putting out there that we read it together yeah. and talk about it together um, because mm. th- that we learn so much more by by actually discussing it together and, and hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying through those passages to somebody else um, and uh, and again most of us have have lived most of our lives with you know the, the quiet time where we're on our own concentrating on a passage by ourselves and often getting stuck <laughs> um, and the, the fact that other Christians could be a resource is something that, that doesn't seem to be deeply enough embedded in us I mm. think and I, mm. again so I, I find that really helpful model that you're putting there well I think we need I mean this this resource the God pod could be a great resource actually for dealing with some of the difficult questions because there are so many difficult questions yeah. that you were hitting um, mm. particularly mm. now I'm finding the book of Book of Numbers, you mm. hit a lot of really difficult yes. passages, and um, mm. uh, we need some help. And how do you, how do we mm. how do we deal with this mm. kind of thing? And mm. um, so, I, I mean, the basic principle I've, I've sort of put in the introduction now is is that that let's focus on the bits, the crossword puzzle principle. That in, in the crossword puzzle, <laughs> yeah. you do the clues you can do first, yeah. yes. and by doing those clues, 
then that fills in some of the other bits and it makes it easier to do the other clues. But you don't get stuck on the clue that you can't do. Yeah. You do the ones you can mm. do and then, you, mm. then hopefully those will help you eventually to do all the difficult ones. Although for me, they're usually a few that I haven't quite solved. <laughs> and it's the same with reading the Bible. There are a few, there are a lot that I haven't quite solved. But I think the more you study it, hopefully the more you're able to fill in the, in the ones. But I, I'm encouraging people not to worry too much about the bits that, not to get stuck on the bits yeah. that are difficult, but to try and feed on the bits. You know, it's the Mark Twain thing. It's not the bits of the Bible I don't understand, but the bits that I do, I do understand, understand that understand worry me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and trying to concentrate on the bits that we do understand. And I think that's where the, the kind of versions that do give you a bit of the Old Testament and a bit of the New Testament and the Psalm or a bit of the Proverbs are, are good because if you were just reading from cover to cover, um, you'd, ne- you'd have whole sway this way you had no New Testament at all. Yeah. And as it is through the lens of Jesus that one needs to read yeah. uh, and assess the Old Testament, mm. um, it's really important to give us a bit of that. Not that the New Testament is without its problems, mm. but um, it does present you with the person of Jesus who is the interpreter key for the, yeah. all the rest mm. so and it does get bits of scripture talking to each other in the way mm. that you're describing as well in the, yes. in the, I suppose it seems to me that the, the, the church in putting together the bible as a collection of books and of course it's a library rather than a book in what sense it's kind of said it's these books together that constitute God's word to us and therefore they need to be read together yes. and there's something about reading a different you know, every day reading a different bit of scripture, a bit of Old Testament, New Testament, and a psalm or whatever, that has that wholeness to it, that sometimes just reading one bit doesn't quite work. And then again, lectionaries in church do the same thing. They always have an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, often a gospel and an epistle. And um, a psalm. And a psalm. Of course, yeah. the Bible is, yes, is a community itself, so to approach yeah. it as mm. a community is really, really yeah. important, I think. Mm. Um, and you realise the different voices, and that you need to listen to the different voices and let them talk to each other. Well, yeah. it's the same in a Christian mm. community. Mm. There are different voices mm. that have particular insights, particular mm. angles, and uh, things, contributions yeah. to offer. Um, so for those of us who'd actually really rather just sit on our own constantly... Um, it is a great challenge, isn't it, for those of us who are naturally, you know, the kind who sit peacefully. Mm. Which brings us quite nice. Oh, well, that's what I thought. Yeah. Oh, good <laughs> link, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> so Ill. it gives us on to another question. But actually, before we do that, just, to, just so that if you're listening to this and you want to uh, pick up on the Bible in a Year program, then if you just log on to the HTB Holy Trinity Brompton website, you can um, find a link there to the One Year Bible Challenge. And there's no reason why you can't start it in any other time of the year rather than you don't have to wait till January the 1st and uh, you can access Nikki's thoughts on there and um, and also if you want to again if if you're new to Godpod and you want to look up some of the um, discussions we've had on aspects of the Bible that come up there's a uh, if you go to the St Paul's Theological Centre website there's a go to the Godpod link there it tells you all the different questions we've looked at in previous Godpods but uh, going back to Jane's very helpful little link a few moments ago, um, we had a question that came in from um, someone called uh, Richard, Richard Hill, um, and um, Richard gives us this question, which we thought was a really interesting question, which we talk about. He says this, as an introvert, I get my emotional batteries recharged by being on my own or with a few people. Extroverts, on the other hand, get energized by being with lots of people at parties, football matches, etc., um, so, when I read some of the descriptions of heaven, crowds of created beings worshipping Jesus, for example, part of me feels excited by the idea of such wonderful worship, but another part feels that heaven seems to be designed for extroverts. 
Can I guarantee there will be a cloud for me to be alone on? As long as I don't have to wear the harp or wear a nappy, as some paintings seem to imply. <laughs> so, I don't recognise the nappy. <laughs> the nappy. <laughs> well, cherubs probably or something like that. Oh, you're right. It's a very good question. So, um, yeah, introverts, extroverts, heaven, I'm sure Mike will have things to say about heaven. He always well, does. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, who wants to get, get started on this one? I think it is a really good question because I think so much of the way we talk about the church um, and about the importance of community and um, talking together and that kind of thing just does assume that we're all extroverts, mm-hmm. whereas actually um, we're not, all of us, extroverts. And, and as, the, as Richard so rightly says, some of, for some of us, that, um, that means that being with people all the time is just very exhausting. It doesn't make it unpleasant. It just mean, means it's not how you actually recharge your batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I hope that there is a place in any kind of Christian community for, for all kinds of different peoples. That's what, what the, the vision of the church actually is, is a, a, a whole human community in which there is a, a proper place for every kind of human being. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, isn't it, that, as you say, a lot of the kind of visions of, as I would put it, new creation are kind of corporate. And, yeah. uh, whereas most writing on spirituality is introvert, uh, and it's all about going off by yourself, solitude, you know, being on your, <laughs> in your, on your own in a room reading. It, it, most spirituality seems to be written. And I remember somebody saying, I'm an extrovert, I can't read this stuff. Mm. Um, so what, you're right, we do need a range. Um, so could you be an extrovert monk if you're a desert father in some cell? I'm sure they, they probably struggled if they were kind of um, people who liked company. And <laughs> you do get stories. Well, it's of a little bit so. like the, the Monty Python... Uh, it was a conference of hermits where they all got together and they interviewed some hermits. What, what do you like about being a hermit? Well, I like you meet people. <laughs> and of course, if, if you actually read uh, the Desert Fathers, they do, they have, they're not on their own. They're struggling with yeah. their own demons, with their own uh, memories, thoughts. Problems, temptations, yeah. and there is the, the definite assumption that that um, myst- the, the mystics or the hermits or the, the solitaries are there for the sake of the world. You don't yes. do that um, just to be with you and God. You mm. do that to, to hold the world in a very particular kind Which of way. Which is why it's such a struggle. Absolutely. But it's interesting that it, even in the early days of the monastic <coughs> movement in the in the Desert Fathers, you had kind of Anthony, who was a um, Anchorite, in other words, a sort of solitary mystic who go off into his cave and spend weeks and months on his own. And um, you sense there's something of that in him. Uh, but then you had this this other style of of monasticism. Where Pacomius was this um, uh, guy who was converted and and but then you know conscripted by the Roman army and taken off. And he was he was he was visited by some. It's a great story. He was visited by some Christians and was very impressed by these people and became a Christian as a result of, of their visiting him in prison. Um, so then went off to, the, to do the monastic thing because that's what it's quite like being in prison. He thought that was the thing to do, but he couldn't hack this, this sort of solitary life. And so he he basically was the founder of community monastic life. You know, mm-hmm. a, a sort of. Uh, like a, a monastery where you live together and you did most of the stuff together, you weren't on your own for vast periods of time. And you sense there, there's a development of two strands of yeah. of kind of the monastic thing, which which 
which cater for different kinds of kinds of people. But Silence and Honey Cakes, if I'm allowed to plug the title, uh, one of my yeah, husband's yeah, yeah. books, um, that they are, you know, deeply embedded in the Christian tradition. Yeah. Lots of different models yeah. that assume that people are different. Do you have to be an extrovert to be a church leader, Nikki? I'm definitely not an extrovert. I did one of these tests. I've never done them before, but I can't remember what the name of the thing is, but you do this test to find out what, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Right. Um, My, Myers-Briggs one, was I it, think or? that could have been the one. Yeah, okay. um, and um, I, I kind of always known I'm an introvert, but I didn't know how, quite how far extreme <laughs> on the introvert scale I was until the results came back of the test. But it does certainly fit with... Um, um, how you know? I I, I'm, I guess it's one of the reasons why I like the one year Bible. It's kind of like it's time completely on my own, um, and I know that mm. there is that community aspect of which is terribly important, and I recognise the importance of, of community. And community is hugely important, um, but uh, I'm definitely somebody who recharges on their own, and mm. who's basically an introvert. So you'd like your cloud on your own? I, I'd like some peaceful spot where I can <laughs> disappear. I think, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Mm. Not only are there different people, but actually every individual person needs different things at different times. We both need both. We yes. both need yeah. solitude and we both need... Yes. You know, we all need solitude we all and we need all community. need yeah. community. And uh, one needs to have that range of, of styles and options. Because yeah. you're uh, probably someone who'd like the, the big cloud bike, aren't you, with, with lots of people on it? Uh, w- apart from the cloud bit, yeah, we, we don't, yeah, uh, exactly. which attaches on really another, another issue, <laughs> but another part of the renewed creation, um, I, I'm very happy in the in the large crowd, yes, yeah. and the large group, all small groups, you know. But mm. that's that's my um, default position. Yeah. But but I like I also love going off for walks in the countryside by myself mm. and. Um, but I was very struck some years ago, Mike. I treasure everything that you ever say to me, obviously. Obviously. Hang on every word. <laughs> but, but one of the things you said, which I had never really thought before, is that a lot of expressions of Christianity are actually for introverts. Yes. Um, and, uh, and therefore to have expressions of Christianity um, that are for extroverts is really very important mm. uh, so that the, it, we shouldn't mm. put up as the main model of being a Christian somebody who wants to be on their knees on their own for most of their lives because yeah. that it makes other Christians feel well I can't be a real Christian then if I, yes. if I experience yes. God most um, when I'm with a group of other people and having a great time mm. so long as you're experiencing God that, <laughs> that's the main thing and, and that becoming a Christian doesn't make you something other than who you Absolutely. are it makes you more fully yeah. and more richly and more balancedly who you were created to be i remember john Stott saying in a, an evangelistic talk at in cambridge many years ago uh, that you know if you're an extrovert before you become a christian you'll be an extrovert afterwards yeah. you'll just be easier to live with <laughs> <laughs> so what um, were you like before you became a christian? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to imagine that i was any more difficult to live with but i think perhaps I was, well I, I was brought up in a christian family anyway so yeah. it's a difficult question <laughs> so what are the ways as an extrovert that you gain your kind of spiritual renewal strength refreshment energy I, I think um, in both in both ways really. I, I get it from being with people, uh, from talking, praying together, from c- corporate worship. Um, but but I do also get it from from solitude and walking. Mm. And, and I, I love walking and praying. I, I will often, you know, 
being in central London, there's not a lot of Lake District-like scenes to go and explore. Mm-hmm. But I could take my cup of tea and walk around Lincoln's Inn Fields. And, mm. and probably, so I, I, do, I do need both, I think. Mm. Whereas Thomas Merton, of course, who was a hermit for a lot of his life, had one of his most profound mystical experiences on the top of a very crowded bus. Right. Mm. Um, an experience of how God loved every single person on that, that bus, bus, not yeah. just mm. Thomas mm. Merton on his own mm. in a beautiful yes. forest somewhere. Yes. Mm. As did C.S. Lewis. On top of a bus. Yeah, there's something about the, the top of buses Whipsnade then. Zoo. Right. Isn't that when he had his conversion moment? Obviously, buses. Well, it wasn't going up the Headington Hill. Oh, I think it, it? I no, think no, it no, was. Yeah, I think it was Headington Hill. Yeah, but I mean, just another issue related to this is interested by the fact that Scripture talks very little about personality and personality types. And that's something we've talked a lot more about since Freud and since mm. Jung, I suppose, in particular, sort of the whole kind of Jungian archetype stuff um i'm intrigued by that really that that since you can you know read a lot into that maybe you know st paul was a different kind of character from peter or king david or or whatever but it does seem to me that scripture talks quite a lot about character and Mm. that difference in personality and character personality Mm. is something which in a sense you can't change necessarily and, and and perhaps shouldn't and perhaps shouldn't, but character is something you can. Character can be developed, and character is more to do with particular qualities of, of life, such as humility and gentleness and kindness and generosity. And I mean, you know, faith, faithfulness and, and all those other qualities yeah. are, uh, yeah. you know, just as desirable as in an extrovert as they are in an yeah. introvert. Yeah. So, to me, the focus of scripture, although personality is important, and I'm not sure it's sort of it's, it's the most important thing that. that scripture focuses us on it seems to whatever personality you are there's a this it's not a matter of just well that's who you are and that's the way you'll always be and not much you can do about it um there's this other element this other dimension of character that we are meant to grow in as time and deepen and develop yes that's a very helpful thing to say Mm. so um so that yeah so i don't know sure we've have we answered the question (laughs) but i think we can we feel that we can reassure richard don't we that that there will be um, yeah. A way of being with God that is appropriate for Him. Yeah, <laughs> within the new creation, and also hopefully within the church yeah. as well. Yes, of course. The clouds are some. The cloud in in Scripture is simply an image of the presence of God. So these are not images uh, yeah. to be taken literally. So we're not going to be on clouds in our, with our harps. I don't think probably or nappies even. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> strange image. Anyway. Um, that was some very good question. Now we had another one as well, which which actually also relates a little bit to our early discussion about about the Bible and reading up. And this was from Australia. This is from uh, Mark Stevens in Adelaide, and he has a question for Godpod that relates to preaching. And he says, when it comes to preaching within the context of the Sunday service, should the minister preach on the text or from the text? I once heard someone describe preaching as feeding the congregation, preaching from the text, and another person describe it as showing people how the meal is prepared, preaching on the text. I wonder which one it should be. I hope the question makes sense. Um, so I guess this is a question about, you know, I suppose where you, yeah, as, as we preach, um, uh, how we use the Bible, whether the Bible is the, you know, whether you focus on one particular passage, whether you speak from it, and it'd be interesting to hear, because again, Mike, you do quite a lot of 
preaching and teach preaching within our college. Yes, worryingly, that's right. Jane, yes. Jane, you don't you don't do much preaching, do you? N- not not formally. My husband says I do it constantly, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I always say that I don't. Yeah. <laughs> you have to listen to a lot of preaching, don't you? I, I well, theoretically, yes. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. <laughs> it's and a skill. You're, you're present at it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Indeed, right. it's a skill learned early by clergy children, isn't it? How to switch yeah, off in a right. circle. <laughs> And Nikki, you do quite a bit of preaching yourself. Well, too. only a little bit, and we have a. I don't do it that often. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, what, yeah, what are your thoughts, Nikki, on on how you you know how you start a sermon? Do you preach again in um, in Mark's um, language? Do you preach on the text or from the text? Does that make sense? And how do you? Well, I do believe there's a great power in the words of the Bible. I think I was doing a, a funeral yesterday. And it was a very difficult funeral of a young guy who died of cancer aged 30. I'd known his parents, well, since I was a teenager. And uh, it was a very, very difficult occasion. 500 people there, I would think the vast majority of them, it's probably the one of the very few occasions in their lives that they're in church. But as you read at the beginning of the, that service, the verses from the Bible you realize that the service included a lot of words. They'd chosen various poems to read. They'd chosen, they were tributes. But actually the power of the Bible, mm. at that moment, when everyone's looking for hope, yeah. uh, there is a, there's such power in the, in the words of Scripture. And I think always in, in, in the, the, the talks we... we try and give it's important to remember that actually it's the part scripture has a has a great power and i always encourage people you we're a team here doing it to start with the words of the bible don't don't with a reading or whatever it is and because you want people to be meditating on that while you're talking um and of course i don't think you can sort of I think sometimes you hear people talking as if you can just expound the Bible and that the Bible speaks for itself, as if sort of you, you remove the human person away from it and it just kind of speaks. But I don't really think that's possible. It would be wonderful in a way if you could do that. But inevitably, it, it's, it's, it's the text and our interpretation of it. And to deny that seems to me to deny our humanity and to suggest that 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 there is a way of expounding a passage which is the only way to expound that particular passage and that it speaks for itself. Uh, you know, it's like history. History is facts plus interpretation. And every talk is is involves that passage but also involves our interpretation of that passage. So uh, we have to... I, I mean, it seems to me that that picture that many people have had, I think it was Karl Barth who had it, wasn't it, the Bible and the newspaper. Mm. We need to have both of those in our hands as we're speaking, both the Bible, which we're, we're trying to hear what God is saying to us through that, but also we have to have the contemporary world and the needs of the people and the, the issues that they're facing and how we relate those two. And it's an imperfect art, certainly in my case, but that's what we're trying to do. I think, that, I think that's right. I mean, I think... Um, I used to have a, a, a student who came to me 
when I was a college chaplain and uh, was attached to me and had to do a, a sermon kind of as part of the training. Uh, and he kept on saying, you know, well, my theology says, my theology says this, my theology says that. And I said, well, with, with the greatest respect, we don't want to know what your theology is. If I want to hear somebody's opinion, I'll go for a ride in the taxi. I, uh, you know, you want to hear what scripture has to say. Precisely because, you, as you say, Nicky, you know, that's where the hope is, is to be found and you won't find it anywhere else. Um, on the other hand, if you just repeat what Scripture says, well, people can get that from reading it. You have to speak from the text into people's lives, into the situation, into our world, into our experience, into our corporate and individual personalities, and, and back again. Uh, and look at that, and then that sheds light, asks new questions of the text. Uh, so I think you need to speak... Uh, on scripture, from scripture, to scripture. Uh, it's a whole process and a whole spiral. And I suppose the, the other angle to it, I mean, I, li- I like Nikki's thing about, um, the, you know, the Bible and the newspaper. And, and um, but I guess an, another way of looking at that is, is that we read every particular passage as part of the whole of the Bible. It's back to this thing we were talking about earlier on about the whole of scripture being God's word to us mm. together. And therefore, in one sense, yes, we do start with a particular passage and, and you start with the, the words of Scripture in a particular place. But it seems to me to be able to read that passage rightly, we have to read it as part of the whole story of Scripture, yes. which means putting it in its theological, historical, literary context within the particular book it's written in. What book does that, what, what part does that book play within the Old Testament, New Testament, whole story of Scripture, which is why preaching... You know, it takes takes time to learn it, not just as a sort of practical skill, you know, how to speak and how to tell a story. Structure it and that kind of thing. That sort of technical bits of it. But, but you know, to have a, a kind of mind that is, I mean, the best preachers seem to be people who are, people whose mind is so shaped by Scripture that when they speak on a particular passage, you sense they're not just speaking from that passage, but it's the whole of Scripture filtered through that passage. I'm always struck when I read the, the early fathers of the church, how often they will, their language is... There's lots of little kind of references to scripture all the way through. It's not that they stop and say, well, as it says in Isaiah 25, verse 10, there's just a little phrase there, which you, you almost feel has just come out almost instinctively because they're just so sort of steeped Nourished in scripture. Mm. Well, they would have memorized a lot of it, wouldn't they? Because yeah. they would not have access to the text in the way yeah. that, that we do. That's right, yeah. So, so and, and, part, and at times of the church, you couldn't be ordained unless you knew the Psalms yeah. off by heart. Mm. Is that right? Yes. Goodness, it yeah, takes a bit of doing. So it seems to me that preaching, you know, hmm. obviously you've got to start somewhere, um, but good preaching re- requires a mind that is so sort of um, steeped in Scripture that, that that's what comes out, and it's focused through a particular passage, but it's the whole mind of of, of the Scriptures that does that. I mean, I've, I have heard some appalling sermons in my time, as I'm <laughs> sure we all have. <laughs> Uh, and it seems to be one of the the great um, temptations for preachers now is to feel they have to be, they have to entertain mm. the congregation. They have to compete with all the kind of entertainment that people get in other places. Mm. Um, so, mm. so whatever you do, you mustn't um, bore people, and you must assume that they've only got a two second attention span. Mm. All that kind of thing, which make which militates against mm. everything that mm. you've been saying. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know how how you do that those of you who preach regularly because you you do want to engage people but equally you want to do something very serious Mm, mm. i just bore them (laughs) (laughs) so that's the advice we would like to pass (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> certainly not. Nicky, Mike, you're the most far more entertaining than I am. I mean, I, I think it is. Um, I, I think if you're engaging with people's lives, you're not going to bore them. If you're applying mm-hmm. the wisdom of scripture to issues that people are actually wrestling with and that's where the pastoral and the preaching belong together then you're not going to be boring people i I mean i think that either also it's good to have illustrations and stories and bits of humor that get the blood circulating around the system again and give people another Mm. four minutes of concentration is bad but in the end if you're engaging you're not going to bore I do remember a sermon where the, the preacher from the pulpit threw a large beach ball into the congregation. I can't at all remember what the sermon was about, but I remember the beach ball. Well, <laughs> enough, I'm going, going off to take a service shortly, and I'm going to be using a golf ball and a glass of water. Um, Don't throw a golf ball at your I mean, I I'm not going to throw it. I'm just <laughs> going to drop it into a glass of water. Okay. Uh, yeah. uh, yeah. well, I think it's why often preaching, preaching that's consciously addressing an issue that is a real issue for the congregation often really works. Mm. Because it's trying to say, well, how does scripture, how does scripture help us think about this issue? Yes. Whereas starting with a purely theological idea, which might be of interest to professional theologians like some of us, um, might, might not, not be of particularly relevant. And that's when you begin to bore people because not everyone is interested in those those, those yeah. issues. But um, if it's a real issue that that connects with how do you live Christian life in this particular place at this particular time. Then I think you're right, and that that connects pastoral and preaching ministry, yes. doesn't it? Yeah. In, a, in a in a in a way that's enormously important, mm. but but doesn't always happen, does it? Because there's a lot of mm. um, sort of um, I don't know, beaming in kind of preaching, isn't there? Where you bring in a special preacher who actually doesn't know yeah. the congregation yeah. or the context, mm. and that can equally mm. be helpful sometimes. It's good to have a balance between those yeah. two things. Um, but I, I think you're right. When I was First ordained, I thought, well, why on earth do we require people to be preachers and pastors together? You know, some people are good at one, some are good at the other. We should just let preachers be preachers and pastors be pastors. Increasingly, I've just seen it as a form of pastoral mm-hmm. ministry. And if it isn't informed by mm-hmm. what's going on in the people that you're speaking to, um, you're not going to engage with them in that kind of deep way that preaching, mm-hmm. good preaching should Why are you do. going to drop a golf ball into a glass of water, Mike? <laughs> we, we want to know. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> uh, it seems to me that there are two views of God. One is that God is like a golf ball. That if you drop into a full glass of water, it, it disperses everything else. So becoming a Christian means that there are a whole lot of things that you shouldn't be doing. You should be focusing just on the kind of religious stuff and spiritual stuff. The other is that God is more like salt, that if you put... Um, salt into a full glass of water it just infuses the whole thing you can keep pouring more and more salt in Mm. and it doesn't displace the water so apart from sin Mm. god doesn't require us to stop being or doing any of the other things we were being or doing see what Um, a good sermon (laughs) (laughs) golf balls all around the country now (laughs) and and and, nikki just on this this one before we close on them how do you when you put together a preaching program for here at hdb um, do you have a sort of particular approach to that? Do you have a sort of sense of what you want to try and do in it when you choose what to preach on or when you decide what you want to preach on? How do you go about that? Oh, not very well, I think, is the answer to both of those questions. I think we're trying to... Um, and this this time we've got a kind of Lenten 
program looking at various kind of spiritual disciplines in a mm-hmm. in a vague vague kind of way i suppose umbrella of the the, the talks mm-hmm. this um I, i'm trying to do this series the sermon on the mount um which i love again i love i keep coming back to the sermon on the mount because it's just to me it's it is the most amazing kind of mm-hmm. i i suppose it, it's jesus and it's uh, jesus telling us how to live mm-hmm. and um so i keep coming back I heard that Shane Claiborne went to speak at um, this huge conference. Did you hear about this in, in the States? A huge youth conference. I think our youth worker went to it. There were 10,000 youth leaders there. And Shane Claiborne was the, kind of the, the main speaker at this conference. Everyone was waiting for this moment when he'd get up and speak. <laughs> and he, he got up and he read the entire Sermon on the Mount. And then he just went and sat down. And that was it. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah. I think everyone at the conference was deeply disappointed yeah. uh, that they hadn't heard him. But on the other hand, they will remember it for the rest of yeah. their lives. Yeah, yeah. And it seems to me that in the Sermon on the Mount, you, you get the essence of Jesus' teaching on, on how we should live. So I'm doing this series. I'm, I'm coming to an end. I think it would be much relief of the whole congregation. It's taken me three years to get through it. Uh, but finally, by the summer, it will be completed. But one of the things, uh, just to contradict you, that you do very well, it seems to me, in choosing sermon series, uh, is precisely this balance between things that begin with the scripture, like the Sermon on the Mount series, and things that begin with what's going on in the world, mm. like the series you mm. did on Is God a Del- Delusion, for instance. And it seems to me that your picture of uh, the Bible and the newspaper, <laughs> uh, our job is to b- bring the two together. And it doesn't matter, in a sense, which one you be- begin with. Mm. You've got yeah. to move to the other engage- and engage the two and bridge the two and bring yeah. the wisdom and the questions of the one to the other. Um, and it's actually quite good to have some that begin in one place and the other, some that yes. begin in the other place. And y- you do... I imagine self-consciously aim at a balance between those. Well, we try to. I mean, I try to take... If you take the the subjects that the Sermon on the Mount covers, for example, there are so many of the issues that that all of us face day to day. Integrity at work, you know, um, marriage, um, adultery, um, lifestyle issues about money, about ambition, about all these things. Loving your enemies, forgiveness, character, um, what life is all about. It's giving, um, prayer. It deals with so many of these questions which our congregation face, and it's the essence of his te- Jesus' teaching on those things. We're talking about um, Shane Claiborne. I think I'd, I'd, uh, that story slightly makes me nervous because um, he, he is doing a God pod with us shortly at, uh, in a couple of months' time at Home Focus when we do our Focus one. He's doing a God pod. So I'm slightly afraid he's going to sort of sit there and recite a bit of scripture. <laughs> How long does it take to, re- to <laughs> get to Shane? Yeah, I think I'll find Shane very easy. He's an extremely modest and... Yeah. Um, I thought I have only met. I spent a morning with him, and I thought he was a mm. delightful. And but, but one of those guys who's kind of a prophetic figure, yeah. and quite challenging in the way that he lives his life. And um, yeah, well, it'll be very interesting. So um, you you, want, you might want to listen out for that one, which is um, will be coming out sometime number fifty in the summer. <laughs> well, it could <laughs> it even be, be number fifty. You never be. know. It could be the cake and the champagne <laughs> on that one. But. Um, Anyway, I think we have come to the, we've come to the end of our time. Mike, you look like you're about to say something. No, 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 no bye. Yeah. Goodbye. I was going to say <laughs> okay, goodbye. Yes. goodbye. <laughs> so anyway, goodbye, Mike. Um, <laughs> and Jane, again, as always, thank you very much for being here. My pleasure. Mm. And thank you especially for Nick, yeah. to Nikki. Oh, no, it's, a, it's fascinating. I think it's amazing what you're doing. I really do. Well, it's a lot of fun. So um, 
Thank you very much for coming. Thank you for listening to. That was Godpod number 44. And uh, Godpod 45 will be hot on the heels very soon. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll hear... Well, I don't, never, quite, never quite know what to say at this point. See you next time or hear from you next time. But you'll hear from us next time. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Gospel always uses the newest thing. Now they even got a thing called the God Pod. That was God Pod, a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye.